and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm Flavia Munn, editor of Nursing Standard, and today's episode is exploring racism and discrimination in the NHS and how black and minority ethnic nurses can progress in their careers. From microaggressions to implicit bias and blatant abuse, we'll look at the impact of this behaviour on individuals and how we can all, whatever the colour of our skin, play a part in stamping this out. We'll also talk about how to get ahead as a black or minority ethnic nurse. So joining me to discuss this topic are Nicole McIntosh and Carol love McCrow, who are Health Education England Regional Heads of Nursing and Midwifery for London and the Midlands, respectively. So a warm welcome to the podcast, Nicole and Carol. Thank you, Flavia. Thank you, Flavia. Great to be here. Thank you, and thank you for finding the time for this. So for the benefit of listeners, Nicole and Carol have black skin and I have white skin, and we're recording this a day after a report by the Nuffield Trust for NHS employers found NHS staff from an ethnic minority are 27% less likely than white staff to be very senior managers. Meanwhile, Nursing Standard published a piece last week about how white nurses applying for posts at acute NHS trusts in London are more than twice as likely to be offered a job than black applicants. So Nicole and Carol, your successful careers and titles suggest that you're outliers having reached the upper rungs of the ladder, but discrimination due to skin tone is not over once you reach senior roles, is it? So can you both describe a personal experience where race has played a role, either implicitly or explicitly, and which has had the most profound impact on you in your career? So Nicole, I'm wondering perhaps if you could start off with that one. Um, so uh, thank you, Flavia. So it's a, an experience where race has played a role. I think um, there are so many examples that are going around in my head. I have been registered as a nurse for over 20 years. And in that time, I've had several incidents uh, where people have made assumptions and, and stereotypical assumptions about me as a person. And I think one that I would say is when I was labelled as defensive when I defended myself. And it's very hard when someone labels you as defensive to then defend yourself if you are being wronged. And so I think sometimes labels that have been used to, in my view, wrongly or rightly, silence me, have have really knocked my confidence at a time when I, I needed to be a bit more assertive and to call out bullying. So I've been bullied in the past as a as a nurse coming up and it, it is quite subtle. It is quite subtle. And when you're from a minority background and you're just trying to keep your head below the parapet, it's quite difficult when you are being bullied because you don't know who to speak to. So I have first an experience of labels being attached to me. And it's for me, it was for me as a nurse to recognize that not because someone puts a label on me, that doesn't mean I have to wear it. And that takes a lot of um, soul searching and reflection to kind of say, well, they've labelled me as defensive. Yes, I was defending myself in this situation, but what else was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to just be shouted at in a meeting and not answer back or, or say that that's not fair? So, so when you are from a minority background, you have all these kind of thoughts and, and, and issues that are going around in your head 
about the reality that's in your face, but you sometimes are in disbelief that people are so blatant with it. So for me, it took a lot of coaching for me to rediscover who I really am and to be able to develop skills of, for example, my coach said to me not to come forward in a in a meeting and to lean forward on the table because that could be seen as being very defensive or aggressive. And it's just learning different techniques to sit in my position in a chair and to be comfortable even when I'm facing challenging conversations. So I had to really reflect and develop myself to overcome the obstacles. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting example because you could almost say sitting forward shows you're keen, didn't you? That's, well, that's what mm-hmm. I meant it to be. Mm-hmm. Then because I realized what was coming and I was preparing my mind mentally to respond to it, I was coming forward and that coming forward was then interpreted as being very defensive. So mm-hmm. yes, I wasn't aware of that until mm-hmm. it was brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And and Carol, do you have an example of? of I do. And, um, you know, a little bit like Nicole, I've been nursing for 35 years. And, you know, there are lots of things going around in my head in terms of examples, some of them, you know, more blatant than others. But, you know, your question about the thing that had um, an incident that had an impact on me made me think um, about an incident that was quite a long time ago in 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 real terms but actually set me on the path i think that sort of got to me, got me where i am t- now and it was when i was um, i was a senior sister I was working on um, a ward and a bit like Nicole, I'd been experiencing some bullying, some quite blatant bullying by one of the senior nurses um, that I wasn't going to sort of put up with. And I defended myself a little bit like Nicole. But then I made the decision that, you know, the, the post wasn't for me at that particular time. And I decided to move. I'd always been interested in education and I saw an opportunity um for a post and so i applied for my very first sort of professional education role um within the trust and a very senior nurse who sat down and i had to get a reference from this individual and a lot of respect for this person sat me down and um described me as she thought i would always be a bedside nurse now i have no problem with caring for patients at the bedside because I think that's where nursing should be. But actually I had other aspirations, managerial aspirations, educational aspirations that I wanted to fulfil. And when she said it to me, the impact it had on me was that she thought I couldn't achieve those things, that I wasn't the right person to take on a different role to the role that I was doing. And in terms of the impact, it made me quite determined to sort of prove that I could do something away from the ward area as much as I think that's an important role and I, but I wanted to change my career I wanted to progress um, and I, I basically I wanted to show her that I could do it um, and so it really fi- it fired me and that fire has stayed with me for the last that was about 20 24 years ago that has fired me and has put me you know in the direction I think as to where I am now um, you know, whether it was mental, whether it was not, the the inference to me was that, you know, as a black nurse, my place was at the bedside, caring for patients, not in a managerial or a more senior role at that time. 
Mm, mm. Thank you for that example. I think that will definitely resonate with, with others who experience the same. I wanted to also ask you both about some of the um, subtle sort of what's sometimes called um, microaggressions, you know, or, or discrim discriminatory behaviour that, that black and minority ethnic nurses can experience. I know, Carol, we were just talking earlier before the recording started about um, a separate recording you, you both have done for HEE. And I know you mentioned about um, a hair washing example um, yeah. during the pandemic. Um, could you could you tell listeners about about that and the impact of that? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, it might not seem that important, but basically, it was around um, the use of caps. And at the time when I was having this conversation in, you know, a meeting, a very senior meeting, and I was asked specifically about this issue of hair washing and black nurses. Um, and it was very, it was, for me, it was a very difficult question to answer. And I, I, I kind of regretted the response that I gave um, once I'd made it because I felt, oh gosh, you know, they're going to think that we don't wash our hair. We do wash our hair, but we have a very def different texture to our hair. It's very obvious that our hair isn't because it's quite coarse, it's quite dry. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not hair that you would wash every single day. And the difficulty for some of the nurses that were working extra shifts you know covering for absences and things like that was that they felt at risk because they wanted to cover their hair but what was leveled at me well if we give it we give caps to the uh, black nurses we've got to give them to all of the other nurses which you know, to me didn't really make sense and it wasn't there was no recognition of the differences the you know very obvious differences in, in hair texture and the way that we care for hair and there are ways that you you know you can look after your hair but it does you know excessive washing can you know dry it out but luckily I say luckily one of the nurses who was there who was a white senior nurse who'd got quite um coarse hair herself said actually Carol I can't wash my hair every day I have to wash it you know every few days so I do get you know what the nurses are saying but it was a really difficult conversation and it, it sort of veered on the fact that equality meant that everyone was treated the same rather than looking at that individual and recognizing there's something slightly different here that may need to be addressed um, and I was disappointed with my own response to that I have to say which is why it, it sort of it, it sticks with me as, as as an example of where I should have been a little bit more forceful in my response um but i i wasn't and that's something i've reflected on and and you know I've uh, you know i've changed the way i respond to people who ask me quite i would say quite a personal question about well it was a hygiene question in, in, if anything but you know um i've changed the way that i respond to those types of questions mm -hmm. that's really interesting thank you for sharing that nicole do you, do you have any um examples of, of similar uh quite subtle um experiences i think it's the for me it is the eye contact that you can sometimes capture in meetings where people and mm -hmm. it's not so much in the virtual space i think that has kind of leveled out the playing field but in face-to-face -face meetings where you sometimes get people who are of a different ethnicity to you kind of glancing at each other without saying a word and, and communicating quite effectively in my opinion and um, that sometimes can knock your confidence if you're in a bit flow in a presentation and you see something where it kind of you you kind of start wondering you know am I being talked about and you don't want to have a chip on your shoulder that's that doesn't help anyone but at the same time you're quite sensitive to little things like that 
or when someone says, oh, your accent is very thick, isn't it? That's just blatantly rude and racist. And yes, I do have an accent, you know, and I try sometimes I moderate the pace that I speak depending on the audience. But to say to someone you have a thick accent is quite hurtful. So it's sometimes it's not even microaggression, it's just out and right being rude. And it doesn't, you know, it flies in the face of the values of an organization. So the microaggressions where people sometimes say they are excluded from gatherings or events because people make assumptions that because of their background they wouldn't be allowed to. Someone said when I was a student that there's no point asking Nicole to come on this night out with her because where she's from she's not allowed to go out and when when it was brought to my attention I laughed so hard because I said to them they need to speak to my husband because my husband would, would be rolling on the floor he'd be saying you don't know my wife no you can't think that she's the type of person who can be told she's not allowed to go out you know in, in our culture that's not acceptable but people are just making assumptions and they just said it to me well they wouldn't they didn't invite you because we know you're not allowed and uh, I was shocked I was really shocked at that Mm, you have to organise a, a rival night out and invite them all and show them. Exactly, that's what I should have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly, show them. Brilliant. Well, that's a, that's a, that's another great example as well. And and I wanted to ask you both what white people can can do to to curb racism and discrimination. Because I I mean I'm personally very aware. I'm I'm a white woman. I cannot. I can never fully comprehend, you know, what what it's like to experience just some of the examples you've given today. So can can you can you tell us us white people what we can do? <laughs> That's a difficult one. <laughs> tickled me a little bit. Um, I think for me, um, it's just to admit that is you know that this racism does exist i know you you're you, saying you obviously can't experience it and we experience things differently um but listen to our stories you know listen to the things that we tell you one of the things for me is um and i do this with you know my colleagues my friends um and i have you know a mix of friends both white from bain backgrounds different backgrounds and being able to have those honest conversations about the things that trouble you and the issues that we face so for me it is about you know admitting that it exists and that we're not just being sensitive or, or touchy or you know we're taking things we're taking banter the wrong way or, or things like that um and and sort of trying to to walk you know take a few steps in our shoes and see how it how it feels i think for me and, and, and I'm sure Nicole would attest to this. I think because we're quite senior, people say, well, you're here. There can't be a problem. Mm. But, we, you know, we are in a, we're in a, a real minority um, at, at this level. I think by being at this level, other people get to see us, other, you know, non-white colleagues get to see us. And I hope that that gives them some hope that it can happen. But there's there's more work to be done um, in recognising and calling it out for me is the other thing is that you know if you hear someone saying something that is racist or aimed at someone of color you know you know being brave enough to say actually you know that's not right we shouldn't be doing that and very often um 
our white colleagues will just listen and perhaps they even though they might think well that's not quite right they 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 may not say anything so my plea would be for people to recognize that it exists and if you hear it or if you see it to call it out on our behalf and advocate for us as well when we're not there um so that that would be my plea i, I don't know about you nicole oh yes i agree i agree wholeheartedly carol i think for me a number of things that white people can do to curb racism and discrimination. Number one is listen to understand, not listen to respond. So when you're in situations where a conversation on race or discrimination is being had, it's listening to understand someone else's perspective. So standing in the gap as well, you know, you talk about calling it out. In the moment, I expect people to find the courage to call it out and to stand in that gap that does exist for, for, for people of a minority background where we sometimes are not in a position of power or influence to call things out and we need support. Another thing you can do is to engage with people who don't look like you. So have friends who are not of the same ethnicity, the same background, the same views as you. That just widens, widens your perspective on life. And I think, as I said, speaking up for others in the moment and not having platitudes afterwards to say that was wrong, wasn't it? I can understand why you're upset in the moment. I'd like you to stand up for me when you see that I can't stand for myself. And that would be really you putting your neck out to say, actually, I am anti-racist and I will support where needed. Yeah, that's a really important message. Thank you both. Um, can you also um, share your thoughts on what you think um, the NHS should do as a system or institution to, to address this issue? For me, the NHS really has a role to play. I mean, it's the biggest employer. You know, we need to be the forerunners of bringing forward a system that is fair I think supporting those who've come forward to raise concerns so that they don't feel that actually it's professional suicide would be a good start. So when people come forward, it's, it's listening to what they're saying and acting on it. Whether they have the courage to come forward and, and give their name or they go through the Freedom to Speak Up Guardian route, whatever route they take is listening and taking each case on its own merit. I would like this NHS to, to learn from Ryanair, and I don't think there are many examples of times when I would say you can learn from <laughs> Ryanair, but I'll give you this brief example. So if you go to Ryanair, this was pre-pandemic, but maybe it's still true. If you go to Ryanair and you're overweight and the person at the desk says you're overweight, you'll have to pay. Yes, and you say, well, I demand to speak with the manager. The manager, junior manager, will come out. And will stand directly behind that employee and said, yes, the rules are you have to pay. And if you then go several routes further up, levels further up and say, I need, I need to speak with the general manager. They all come back, come back and stand in line and, and they live their value that their organization says that's the rule. Now, with racism, what I would like to see is that whatever level it is that someone has raised a concern, the person who is raised to stands in line, like the Ryanair example, and support. And that's how we live the values of fairness, equality, inclusion, and people feel safe that we're taking it seriously. What we get sometimes is that people come and stand beside and say, mm, well, I'm not quite sure, uh, I don't have the courage, I don't want it to, to affect my own personal interest, and they don't stand in line. So that alignment of values and behaviours is very important for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a fantastic example again. Really, for Ryanair, who would have exactly unusual, but. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you. And how about that from your perspective, Carol? Yeah, uh, that's a really good example, Nicole. And uh, I think it, it's quite a difficult question because, you know, the NHS has been trying to battle with this for a long time. And that, for me, has been one of the frustrations that we don't seem to be any further forward. But I think, you know, one of the big things for me is increasing that, that staff awareness of, you know, some of the things that we've talked about today some of the things about standing up for your colleagues, um, recognising and, and embracing the, the differences, um, that encouragement for non-white staff to apply for senior posts, but more importantly, to make sure that those members of staff take up the, the development opportunities that enable them to apply for those senior posts. Because for me, having worked in a trust, I've been at um, HEE for well nearly 12 months now. And previously I worked in a trust and we really need to, to put some emphasis behind developing our junior members of staff to ensure they've got the exact same opportunities as their, their white colleagues so that they are you know able to apply, able to progress within the organisation and encourage those those junior levels to, to step forward. So, you know, it's at all levels that we need to recognise that we need to support um, our non-white colleagues, whether it be through um, shadowing, through mentorship, you know, show them that, that, that they can achieve their full potential, but we need to make sure that there's a structured pathway to enable them to do that. Mm, that's a brilliant segue into my next question so thank you for that <laughs> seamless uh, which is I wanted to ask you both as well about how um, black and minority ethnic nurses can progress in their careers I mean you obviously have have both um, succeeded with that and I wanted to find out whether you have any sort of confidence building tips or other tips that, that listeners can can benefit from I mean I know it's hard enough anyway for for many people to progress but you know when when you can be held back by bias too then you know imagine it's even more difficult I don't know who wants to take that one first I, I can go first um, on Thank this you. one. I think what Carol was saying about shadowing opportunities in terms of how to progress your careers, I think seeking out good role models, yes, people who you emulate, you don't have to try to imitate, but you emulate them, and, and having mentoring relationships with these people where you sense check something. So, for example, you're a ward sister and you think you're next step would be to become a ward manager it's identifying ward managers who you admire that you think you can learn from and approach them to be a mentor or to have shadowing opportunities do some volunteering work to expose yourself to an area that you you, you want to see if it is really something that you would like to do and in terms of building your confidence it's hard as you say Flavia, when you when you feel that bias is, is 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 holding you back as well, sometimes you kind of lower your aspirations and your ambitions. But I think it's important for us to believe in ourselves and not to be arrogant, but to be to be assertive and to surround yourself with positive people. That even on the toughest days, you think, okay, yes, I have people who I can can offload to or just share an an issue and get something back that kind of helps you to face the next day so really surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and seeking out opportunities is really important for me mm, thank you and, and Carol how about from your perspective I think you know I agree 
um, totally with Nicole. I think it's about that, you know, taking up all of the opportunities. If I were to think about it, um, and I was asked this question, you know, how have you got to where you've gotten to? Um, and I don't think about it day in, day out. But what I have done is I have, you know, I've jumped on the opportunities that have come my way. I've taken every opportunity to develop. Um, and yes, that, you know, there have been knockbacks. So one of the things is about, you know, tenacity in terms of, you know, picking yourself up, surrounding yourself with positive influences is really really important because it's very easy to get you know to drop your shoulders and think I can't keep doing this um it is about taking those opportunities to develop um and you know not to think about or preempt what the results may or may not be don't think that you know oh I won't I just won't achieve it they won't give it to me you won't know until you put your hat in the ring so it, it is about keeping that going and keeping as as Nicole says that that positive you know positivity positivity around yourself um and and talking to people and speaking about how you feel um because it it it, it it is difficult sometimes to keep that focus. It's difficult sometimes to, you know, if you've had knockbacks, um, to think that you're ever going to achieve what you want to achieve. As an example, my for my to get my first sister's post, I think I had five, five or six interviews where I interviewed well and didn't get the posts. And, you know, I know I got to about number interview number four and was feeling, you know, really dismayed. I thought I'm never, ever going to be a sister. And I think it was my mom that gave me a bit of a talking to and said, you know, you will get a sister's post. You will be able to do that. So you just need to persevere with with what you're doing. And I did. And, you know, I got a sister's post and then I got a senior sister's post and I went on to get other posts, more senior. Um, but, you know, I could have given up at that at one of those hurdles and thought you know what I'll just do what I'm doing now because obviously that's where I'm destined to be but I didn't give up and it's hard to do that so that's where the surrounding yourself with positive people who will say to you come on you know you can do a bit more you you, you know you can you, you know you've got this mm-hmm. great great from your mum <laughs> mums are always right aren't they <laughs> Fantastic. I wanted to I wanted to end by um, asking you both uh, what your top tips are for overcoming bias or, or discrimination and excelling in your career. And I'd also um, welcome any suggestions really for, for listeners on on resources that have, have helped you and may help others. So, um, Nicole, do you want to take that one first? Oh, thank you, Flavia. I think in terms of overcoming bias and discrimination and excelling, for me, it's looking for the opportunities. So keeping an eye out, always having an, an alert set up on NHS jobs, just to be aware of what is out there and what, what skills and experience you need to, to get to the next level and not being overwhelmed by feelings of in, inadequacy or that dreaded inferiority complex that we get or imposter syndrome, you know, different terms that people attach to it. Um, Feel the fear and do it anyway. As Richard Branson says, if someone offers you an amazing opportunity, say yes and learn how to do it. And for me personally, I have to remind myself of that because there is a tendency to just go with what you know well. But there is always that opportunity for us to kind of push ourselves. Having good work-life balance is key in terms of excelling in your career, knowing when to shut off, how to shut off, how to 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 
to not let the issues of work transcend into your personal life. That is very hard. The work that we do, we talk about moral injury. So we have to have um, use resources well. For me, I like apps like Calm or Mind, or I listen to music or I do a puzzle or I use a creative space in terms of having that balance. But everyone will have something that they do differently. So yes, resources that are on your employer's website or HE website that you can access, you know, health and well-being support. That's that's what I would recommend. And just using what fits with your personality and being authentically you. So not losing yourself to try to fit in is really important because it's tiring to try to be someone you're not. So just be your authentic self and surround yourself with people who value you for you. Mm. Thank you. And, and Carol? Uh, thanks, Flavia. Nicole, I, I, th I think, you know, you've been really um, clear there about sort of things that we can do. I mean, sort of just to add to some of that. Um, and I think I've already said this about speaking to other non-white colleagues, you know, experience their journey. As you become more senior, it's it, I suppose it, it's easy to forget, you know, that, you know, people more junior to you may be struggling with things that you've overcome. So sharing for me, you know, sharing my experiences, sharing my knowledge. The other thing for me in terms of excelling in my career was um you know, getting that clarity of, of about where I wanted to be and making sure that the developments I did were tailored to getting me from, you know, where I was to where I was aspiring to be and making sure I did that, taking up the opportunities for, as we've said, for mentoring and, and shadowing um, and, you know, taking the opportunities to advocate for your, you know, non-white colleagues as well when you're in a position to do that. Um, it's it, for me, it's been really helpful to be able to support um, junior um, colleagues that I've had in, you know, I, I've always done it. I still continue to do that now. Um, but, you know, for, for career development, having clear career conversations, um, uh, you know, making sure that your, your your line manager knows where you want to go, your mentor knows where you want to go and pick up those those, those tips and, and, and things that can help you to where you want to be, I think is for me is really, really important. The wellbeing aspect that Nicole has talked about is really, really good because you do need sometimes when you, you know, you've had a difficult time at work, a difficult time on a ward to come home and speak to those people that, you know, always pick you up and are always there for you as well. So it's really important that that work-life balance is maintained. So I totally agree with, with Nicole on, you know, the use of apps and whatever works for you to sort of make sure that, you know, your, your well-being is maintained. Thank you very much and apologies for my um, puppy. <laughs> But thank you very much for for those um for those tips. Uh, that that was re really excellent. And um also we will uh, put um various resources in in the show notes uh, to this episode, which people can find at rcni.com forward slash podcast. And also there you can find a, another episode with Nicole uh, talking about interview tips, which is truly excellent. So I would recommend everyone to take a listen to that as well and um, finally and most importantly thank you very much uh, to both of you for for taking part today I've I've really uh, found it helpful and very interesting too and I hope others do as well you're welcome thank you for having me
Yeah, thank you, Flavia. It's been great to take part. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.